Right, guys, get your Bibles out, whether it's in, a, in paper or on your cell phone. Promise me you're not going to surf, your, surf the net if you're using your cell phone. Love you to focus on the Word this morning. So I'm going to dig into that. Uh, and I don't know, I was looking around. Is Gary, uh, is there a Gary, Gary Parker, I believe you said him. Is Gary in the house? I couldn't see. Not here. I was wondering if I'd seen him this morning. Uh, he's recently come to this church and... Uh, told me uh, who his foster parents were as he grew up uh, uh, from an abandonment background, and uh, turns out that he's, he was fostered by a man called Ami Simon. Some of you might know Ami and Elizabeth. Ami has passed on, I've, I've discovered, about five, six years ago, but Elizabeth is still around, and I'm not sure she's in the house today, but Ami discipled me 54 years ago. He poured into my life and helped me discover how to live. I'd just gotten saved, and he found me, and he began to disciple me. And yes, he's his much belated foster son, Gary, is joining up with us in this church. I just, that's just an amazing thing, isn't it? Eh? I'm just so delighted in that. You know? All these, more than five decades later, he has a, a reminder of a guy who poured into my life so many years ago. Eh? Nothing's wasted. Eh? I was thinking about those boys at Bonteheville, uh, township in the Western Cape where I used to go with another guy, Cairns Bain from Pinelands. He had an old crap, crept out. I almost said crept out. I didn't mean to. <laughs> I almost said it. Uh, Land Rover that was so bad that you have to, you had to, you know, I would have to sit inside while he cranks the handle because the handle was too stiff for me at that time. I was only about 17 to crank in the front. He'd crank it and swing the engine. I'd say push the accelerator. Then he'd grab the crank, jump in and off we'd go down to Bonteville, Sunday after Sunday, and he sat on one side of the street, I sat on the other side, we each had about 12 boys that we met with, listen to this, for two and a half years, for about two to three hours every Sunday, okay? we discipled them, he discipled his street boys, I had my group, and they were the same boys, they came week after week, one of those boys called me years later and said, I just want you to know how grateful I was for those foundations laid, I'm now in senior management in The Hague, in the Netherlands, in business, the Merchant Navy. Isn't that amazing, eh? How God works these things. Don't take lightly the call to be and to make disciples, eh? In all the ups and downs of life, eh? God is good. All the time, as they say in Africa. When I say God is good, you're supposed to say? When I say all the time, you're supposed to say? God is good. Okay, that's as far as our ritual goes. But you know. <laughs> Anyway, last week we began a ser series, uh, my part of the series on freedom. Uh, we'd had Dave Skev and we'd had uh, Dave Gruer. This is a Dave series, and I'm doing two weeks. In fact, I'm going to make it three weeks. I'm preaching next Sunday again because I, I felt I couldn't do it all in, in today. And last week I opened Galatians 5, which is the uh, starts of, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. And it's all about the signs of that freedom. What would that look like? Um, and we, we explored the, the three signs last week of it would help. We would find it by we are free to serve. We're not free to just indulge ourselves as consumers. We're free to serve. We're also free by the leading of the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. So we are spirit-led people. That's, there's freedom in that. We don't just follow a ritual or a, a pre-programmed commitment um, plan. We follow the Spirit. And whatever he says, like a cloud that moved by day and a fire, pillar of fire by night, that Moses and Israelites learned to, to lead by discernment. So we, that's part of our freedom, is lead by discernment. And the third was, uh, we're also free to die to self. We're free for the crucified life. We don't have to defend our, our rights and our reputations. Aren't you glad that you don't have to make your reputation your idolatry? Does, does it actually matter what people say? Okay. It matters so much more what God says. Let, you know, let God be true and every man a liar. If God approves, is, that, is, is there anything more important than that? If you imagine you're running a race on the Westbourne Oval or some other Olympic track, and, uh, and there are thousands of voices cheering, but there's one voice you are listening to, and when you heard it, it made all the difference. And it's the voice of God's love for us. That's a very powerful thing. It helps us to live the crucified life because you know you're loved, and you say, I trust the Father and His purpose. So take me to the cross. He will raise me up. And whatever that dying to self is going to mean for you, you will have a new life after that. And I touched a couple of areas of, of the Christian experience that I feel have been somewhat compromised by the neglect of that or the abuse of Christian freedom. And then just to carry on recapping from last week, we landed. Can you remember? How many were here last week? Give me an idea. Hands up. There you go. Tell the person who didn't raise his hand, you missed something. 
anyway, uh, we, we, we talked about Peter. You remember Peter, the fall of Peter, but in particular, the moment of the fall. Jesus had warned him it was going to happen. And in Luke 22, verse 52 around to 56 around there, he, Peter has these three conversations, three responses in a conversation. The one, the girl says to him, weren't you with him? Talking about Jesus, they've now captured Jesus. Jesus Peter's standing by the fire, warming himself, and he says, I don't know him. Peter denied his intimacy with Jesus. That began the fall. Whenever we neglect our personal intimacy, the pursuit of personal intimacy with Jesus, know this, it won't go well with you. It won't. All starts with being right with him. Start your day that way. Be intimate with him. Start your day in knowing him. Don't start your day echoing the voice, I don't really know him. Know him. Paul says that's the one thing I want to do. I want to know him and be... And, uh, and, and the power of his resurrection, fellowship of his sufferings, I want to know him. Who is he? What is he doing now? What's he want from me? The second challenge to Peter was, weren't you one of them? As I pointed to the, the other disciples, and Peter's response was, I am not denied the fellowship. Denied his allegiance and commitment and involvement with the other believers in that little first church, the Galilean church. And the third question that is put to him as a challenge, um, aren't you also of the Galileans? That, that was the name they gave to that movement. It mostly came from the Galilee. That's where all the feeding of 5,000 happened and all that stuff happened up in the Galilee and Capernaum. And uh, Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. It starts with that. Neglect of your intimacy with Jesus, a, a frivolous attitude towards fellowship, it lands up with you being confused. You don't even know what you think. And you believe all kinds of worldly wisdom and, and compromises that have come in and are continuously trying to subvert and, and humanize our faith to the point where we don't have a, a faith that comes by revelation according to God's word anymore. So I wanted to put that up front there um, and, and say I'm still very, very committed to, uh, to these fundamental truths. And whenever... Holly and I, we've been in the ministry a long time now. Whenever we see people neglecting an integrity of personal relation with, with, with Jesus, we know it's the beginning of a bad season. And if they're easily absent from fellowship, or even, I'm, not, I'm not just talking about uh, you know, your, your connect group that Gavin helps coordinate or the Southshire group, but even, even gathering like this. And I'm very concerned about those who have not been able to shake off post-COVID the isolation that they've, they found themselves attached to. And, uh, and have, have become disdainful of corporate church. It's not that corporate church is a be-all and end-all. This is just an entry level, really. It gets deeper when you go into connect. It gets even deeper when you go into discipleship. But it's, it's gathering together. That's the important thing. It's so important. And when it doesn't happen, and uh, we, we, we find ourselves needing to caution people. Don't be influenced by those who are disdainful of corporate church or gathering in significant way, ways. And that's not because we're hateful of those people, but we're shepherds of the flock and we see wolves dressed in sheep's clothing who want to influence you to fall into a trap that actually will cause a downfall for you. Does that make sense? Just looking at you. Rick, Rick and Zelda, it's nice to have you with us today. Rick and Zelda just recently got married. He's from the States and uh, Zelda's from our ESA, East Cape. And uh, I was had the privilege of marrying him just recently. So it's lovely to have you guys with us here. So nice. Bless you for coming. We really need to think about this uh, authentic fellowship. And we're going to Galatians 6 today. Um, I think the other thing I want to say, what fellowship uh, does for us in Galatians 6 will lead us into some of these thoughts. Uh, Galatians 6, 1 to 5, just those, those first few verses today, is uh, the need for authentic fellowship, not just some religious thing uh, or a program thing. It's True connection. Um, is the need for us to, uh, to shake free of all the hindrances to really connecting in what the Swiss theologian called the I-thou relationships, not the I-it, where we personally connect. Martin Buber, if you really want to read more about this uh, uh, depth of true Ubuntu, true connection, it comes when... I in me is willing to meet the, the, the thou, the, the, the uh, sacred part of you, who you really are. 
and it's that not just uh, and us guys uh, let's just be honest guys we all talk about politics and the rugby and, and business much more easy but when it comes down to soul talk we're somewhat challenged may god help us eh? may god help us to overcome that and i know how many wives would love for their husbands to say tell me what's really happening what's really going on for you and if it doesn't if it's not shared uh, risk comes into that relationship because what is not shared compromises the integrity of your unity. So it's so important. If you read back in Genesis 2, it says they were both naked and not ashamed. Uh, that's that sense of vulnerability and transparency is so vital. So this is a, in some ways a difficult message. That's why I asked if I can just do it over the next two weeks. But Galatians 6 verse 1. Uh, brothers, <clears throat> if someone is caught in a sin... You who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. If that last verse frightens you, and I had a, uh, someone came with a prophetic sense earlier on to me to say, there may be somebody in the house today who's actually feeling suicidal. So desperate is your personal circumstance. I want to say to you, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's not God's plan for you to take your life. And don't be deceived by thinking that others will be better off if you weren't there. The gospel is the power of God to transform from despair to hope. And he does that. He does that continuously. And we stand for that as a church. That's what we will, on this hill we will die. If you know what I'm saying. We'll stand for this thing. And there's no need for you to carry those suicidal thoughts going forward. And we invite you to, to uh, come for prayer and ministry and counseling. We've got an Eden Life Healing Center. We've, we've put things in place to help us uh, overcome the, the barriers to this. So the theme in this passage is all about accountability. And it's a dirty word in some circles. Accountability. Feels like we're going to control each other now, yeah? There was a movement called the Shepherding Movement. Uh, um, as week on week, I'm just mentioning some things in the broken parts of our, our Christian history. A shepherding movement, which praise God, the guys who were involved with have all repented. The guys like Charles Simpson, Bob, Bob Mumford, Derek Prince, they've all repented of, of the, where that movement took them because it landed in a controlling factor over people's lives. And you weren't allowed to do anything unless you got permission from the because it was multi-level marketing almost, from that one who was above you, who was discipling you, and you had to get permission. We want to say that for us, accountability has got nothing to do with permission, but everything to do with perspective. It's wise to seek each other's perspective. The Bible is clear. Um, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So it's so important that you're not living like a lone ranger, but pressing for uh, accountable perspective sharing. You might have it wrong, but in your, as he says, in your own deception, you, you lose it because you are so convinced of your own rightness. So can I just declare a few things that accountability is not, and then I'm going to unpack that scripture. It's not control, but it's care. It's not control, it's care. It's caring for people. So you, you press into their lives, not to control them, but to show your care. And if you see someone limping, find out why. I'm talking about literal and figurative and relational and financial limping. And accountability is not a means whereby we bring change through coercion. If I have any concern about promise keepers, and I think it's wonderful that people were invi invited to aspire to, to more, to, to make faith commitments. But there was an edge to that also where we, we felt we had to keep a promise and we were coerced into keeping the promise. And I know Colleen would like me to, like to be very sure that I'm faithful to her, not because she threatens me. There's a couple in this church that the wife beat the husband with a pen. <laughs> so ever since then, it's all panned out fine. But, but she would like to know that I'm faithful to her because of the inspiration of, of our love relationship. I tell you what, nothing can match it. This is, this is worth it. It's, and it. It comes by inspiration, not obligation. She has not obliged me to be faithful. Does that make sense? True faithfulness, true purity must come in the new covenant by inspiration, not obligation. And if all our ministries are, are designed to put people under obligation, we've missed it. 
I freak out when people say, I don't, I don't feel I want to be obliged to go to church. Well, I hope you don't have to be obliged to go to church. I hope you somehow catch the inspiration that this is a, a divine romance. God is, he says, wow, I love you so much. I've carved, the Bible says, I've carved your name. He's into tattoos, eh? God's into tattoos. He carved your name in the palm of his own hand. I don't know if you use the Leatherman or what he used, but he got it in there. Your name is in the palm of his hand. So much as he love you. It's a, it's, a, it's a divine romance. We work by a divine inspiration. It's a, not a divine regulation, but a romance. Uh, it's from the inside out. And, uh, and it's, uh, accountability requires uh, a, 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 a willingness for repentance, to receive the gift of repentance. And invariably, that gift is wrapped not in isolation, but in community. You find the gift of repentance wrapped in the culture of community. It helps you. But in particular, a community that will have no patience with shame. If that makes sense to you. We do not embrace shame. Shame is toxic. Shame has to do with what you feel, with, uh, what you, feel you are. Whereas guilt has to do with what you've done. And the gospel declares you the apple of God's eye. You're precious to him. You're the prince. Princess, I said to Shlikani, she, you know, this is my name, she is right now. She, she's, here she is. Shlikani, just stand up for a moment. Come on, just stand up. Shlikani, look at this awesome princess today. Look at her. Amazing, huh? I mean, she said, I've come dressed for royalty because I'm worship, worshiping the king of kings today. Isn't that wonderful, huh? We must understand that God's word over us determines our value. And so shame has got no place because he's declared your worth. And if you embrace shame, then you're disdaining the, 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 the price put on your life at Calvary. What a, what a despicable thing to do, to embrace shame. Repentance, yes, make it your friend. And you can find it best in community. Because when we confess our faults one to another, James 5 says, when you confess our faults one to another, most of us say, I don't mind confessing your faults one to another, but we talk about our faults one to another, and pray for another, you will be healed. And that's what fellowship is. It's unwrapping uh, repentance so we can find a way to make it work well for us. So let's go to Galatians 6, verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, I'm going to give you six points this morning. So catch this first one. Brothers, I've just been emphasizing it. We are better together. He's talking to the brotherhood. He's talking to the connected people. Um, we are better together. Uh, and he goes on talking about the burdens that we bear with one another. Carry each other's burdens. Uh, there's just something about the brotherhood of the fellowship, we say, look, I don't know what to do, but right now, I remember some years ago, I went through a very, very challenging moment, and it was about five o'clock in the morning, I phoned one of my friends, you know, John Skulls, who speaks often around, so we've been friends for, since Noah's days, and uh, it sort of feels like that, <laughs> but, uh, and I said, John, come see me, man, he said, I think he came over about 20 past five, he's at my house already. And I was able to talk with things through with him and say, thank you for helping me to keep perspective. Because sometimes you can lose, anyone ever feel like you're going to lose your head? It's just so many, it's like a cauldron of, of things you've got to weigh up here, right and wrong, a discernment. It's a challenge. And being in, in, in accountable collegial fellowship can help you enormously. It's an arrogance to stay away from fellowship. It's arrogant. It's prideful. It's wrong. It's ungodly. It's, it's not even human. Because we have an Ubuntu. He's made us to, to work like this together, if that makes sense to you. I want to make a strong plea. I went and spoke to a brother this week who's still passionate about the, the, the smaller the better. And congregational life is not like I said, I want to say to you, reconsider. I urge you to reconsider. It's a slide downhill. Does it make sense? I'm not saying these to put people down. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking sincerely as a, a shepherd. I want to save people from what I can see coming. Brothers, he says, brothers. Come on, Hebrews 10. Slip over, keep your finger in, in Galatians, but go to Hebrews, Hebrews 10. A couple of verses where he speaks about this here. What should he say? Uh, uh, <coughs> Hebrews 10, 23 onwards. Uh, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope. So let's be uh, resilient. Uh, for he promises faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another up to love and good works. Verse 25. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Maybe the three years of COVID cultivated that habit. I'm saying, 
to hell with the devil. It's our turn now. It's time to shine and take back what belongs to us as the people of God, which is the fellowship, the Ubuntu of God's people. You don't have to do life alone. You can do it together with other believers. So when next I hear someone saying, I don't really need to go to church, say, to hell with the devil. God says you do. You, you would benefit from it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Come on, church. Thank you. And all the more, as you see the day approaching, I mean, our day yeah, in Kabecha of, of, of no water is approaching. Is that a foretaste of everything else that's approaching in terms of the darkness of the world we live in? I mean, I've just come out of South Sudan recently, in the trip, and I see the weekend paper, the Pope's up there. That, that country's obviously in trouble. It's not, not what I was just, I came back and told you, the ethnic conflicts and the instability in South Sudan. And even the Pope is up there, and they, they, they pour everything that we can has been poured into that, that nation. We don't want another Rwanda. So I'm just saying, we see many signs of the day approaching uh, in our own nation. There are many aspects of that. I pray constantly that justice will reign. And Sheikh Azumu would exercise, the, for example, the integrity he claims is his by actually letting it be examined in a court of law. He's dodged it for 25-some years already. That's not good. We need to know that we live in a time where light is on and we are a people who carry that light so brothers is the first thing i want to just highlight here and uh, don't fall into the bad habit that he calls with which uh, some have fallen into but bear each other's burdens that's another way of saying brothers we we burden bearers with each other uh, which means we know how to be vulnerable uh, and we carry each other's vulnerabilities uh johan hari one of guys that Colin and I have read a bit of, uh, he, he writes about the antidote to addiction is connection. We're not going to break our, our bondages and get free of our, 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 our addictions unless we find a healthy connection okay, with vulnerability. I'm sort of freaked out by, by men who can say they love Jesus, but will not be honest with their wives. It's not right. It's a lie. If you love Jesus, you'll be honest with the most significant people around you appropriately. And don't be arrogant to think you don't need it. We need it. We need it. And then the second thing, uh, I'm giving you six. The second thing is caught. It says caught in a sin. If someone is caught in a sin, it speaks of a trap. Eh? The world, the sin, and the devil that are out there to, to trap us and to lead us away. It was so lovely on this prayer camp. Johannes, he normally, there he is. Johannes, just stand up for a moment. Would you? This is Johannes. He, he shared his story uh, when we were giving thanks on the first night of the prayer camp about uh, how God uh, in the gospel captured his life and brought him back from deep uh, anger towards God and from excessive drunkenness and violence. Eh? Am I right, Johannes? Probably only touching a tip of it. Eh? There's lots more to that. And I want to say to you, when the gospel has ripped us, we are changed. We cannot go in the same old, same old. We become new people. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. So why do you still wear the old rags? Huh? Why do you walk in that old stuff? Why do you still flirt with marijuana and alcohol and other substances? Why do you flirt with porn? These are traps. World, flesh, and devil traps. If you're looking at porn, you're flirting with a trap. It's going to take you down. Jesus said in, John, in Matthew 5, if you look with lust, you've committed adultery. He's talking about mind, uh, the capturing of the mind, the affair of the mind, as some have called it. If our minds have, have been taken, we find ourselves kept. Because as a man thinks so easy, it leads to, it leads to the actions. You know, how do you boil a frog? Huh? You know how to boil a frog? We had, we had a huge bullfrog arrived <laughs> in this prayer camp. We were busy having worship, and then this frog arrived. And I realized one sign was it was the end of the worship. So I was <laughs> And I called it for the worship, went on into prayer and things thereafter. But um, how do you boil a frog? Slowly, exactly, slowly. Put it in the pot, if you're French, and boil it up and you can eat it later. <laughs> but that's how you boil a frog. He's going to jump around a while, but as the water gets hot, he's going to get more and more lethargic. And that's what happens in, in our flirting with sin. Catch this little by little, huh? little by little. Before you know it, you're taken down and you're captive. You have been captured, as they say in South Africa. You've been captured. Go with me. Keep, keep your hand in Galatians 5. But go to, to Proverbs 5. Let me show you. Uh, sometimes the Lord many, many times confirms a, a passage that should be looked at by letting me go straight to that in my prayer time. And I said, Lord, what are you saying today? And he said, go to Proverbs 5. And I opened my Bible and went straight there. So let me show you what he was showing me, reminding me of this morning. 
Again, it's a whole chapter about this thing, how stupid it is to not walk with wisdom in a dangerous place. And he talks about the warnings against adultery and um, all the, just read the whole chapter. We, if you would read that at home, that would be fantastic. Um, and you pick up uh, verse 11, 12. At the end of your life, you will groan. And when your flesh and body are spent, you will say, how I hated discipline. I want to be committed. And walk out the integrity of your marriage covenant. Uh, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I've come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. So knows what's happened to me, uh, it's, it's affecting others. Verse 16, should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife or the husband of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. And, and he's, he's saying may this. Was, Let this be. Help it happen. Lean into this is what he's saying. Why be captured, captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? And Paul talks about that as defrauding another man. Because this is not your life partner. It's the other person's. Don't defraud one another, he says. Point 21, for a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he, the, the Lord, examines all his paths. He knows how you walk. He knows what you do. And the deeds of darkness are exposed in God's gracious light. And he doesn't leave it hidden. He brings it to light. Because what is hidden will take you down. Take you down. And look, watch this. Verse 22, the evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. We've had, we, last year I think we did a series on, was it in sexual freedom or something like that, and a whole exposition of Song of Songs. There's just so much in the scripture that encourages us to be wise about this, not being caught. And at, at the very least, uh, you know, don't dress in a way that is provocative. We always say in our teaching of the youth, you know, if it's not for sale, don't advertise it. And, uh, which also, let me just say, watch out for solical adultery where uh, you, can, you can say, well, we, we don't touch each other. There's nothing physical. We just talk or we pray together. You, you can have a spiritual solical adultery with someone that you're having an intimacy with that is uh, illegitimate. Uh, it's compromised because you don't have the same intimacy with the appropriate person. So you're having it with inappropriate persons. And, and uh, let me tell you, that has taken many more pastors and Christian leaders down than what we'd like to, t to mention publicly. <laughs> it's such a common trap. Uh, this, uh, this trap of solical adultery and uh, we need to be wise and, and clear about avoiding these things. Like Joseph, hey, when Mrs. Potiphar comes to him, what does she do? She re he, realizes, he realizes she's trying to capture me and he gets out and he says, I should not do, I will not offend not only my master but my God. Because God sees, even if Mr. Potiphar never found out, my God sees. And he fled, he left his jacket behind and thought, I couldn't care about a jacket. Well, she used it to frame him later, and he spent time inside prison. But God uses it. Hey, God used him in prison to help the butler and the baker, and you know how that whole story went, and, and uh, Joseph eventually ended up as the prime minister of the land of Egypt. But watch out for being caught, and it starts with the little things like porn. I want to say to any of you, men or women, that are finding yourself trapped by porn, would you find someone you can talk this through with? What, uh, what a hungry ghost the words of Gabor Matei. What hungry ghost, what unresolved wound in your life gravitates you towards that in, in extraordinary magnetism? What help do you need? And call for it. Because as I said, repentance is best unwrapped in the context of confession and community. So let's go to the third part. He goes on to say, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. You who are spiritual. So that's an interesting description of how we ought to go about these things. Essentially, he's referring back to 1 Corinthians 3, where again he refers to you who are spiritual. If you'll go with 1 Corinthians 3, let me just show you where Paul uh, con confronts unspiritual leaders and says, this is the right thing to do. Watch this, verse, verse 3, verse 1. Brothers, I, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? What he's saying is, as long as you devalue unity, 
You're unspiritual. Shall I say that again? If you devalue unity, you're unspiritual. Such an important thing. We had our prayer time this morning in the prayer room there. And by the way, that's an open invitation. Hopper said, come for 20 minutes of prayer every Sunday. There's always someone praying. Colleen walked in and, and picked up a Bible and just read from Psalms. It says, how pleasant, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I said, that's it. There's something unpleasant about disunity. May God help us, especially us who gather here as at a Dullam's cave from such diverse areas of brokenness. We come from backgrounds, eh? Some were, some still are skabangas, eh? I'm not looking at anybody in particular, if you know what I'm saying. But we find unity in Christ, and that's a unity that allows the diversity. We can be different. Even it's a unity that even allows for weakness. And I want to zoom in on something. You know that scripture in 1 Corinthians 5? Let me just preach it from here. Where Paul is frustrated at the actions of a, of a man who's having an affair with his stepmother. He's actually sleeping with his stepmother. And Paul says, it's not good that this man should go on with this arrogance. Hand him over to Satan that he would learn not to blaspheme. Remember that story in 1 Corinthians 5? And he rebuked the Corinthian church for that, and they did. And handing him over meant that they excluded him. What was Paul seeing? And that in 2 Corinthians 2, he says, I now hear, this is the second letter of the church in Corinth, I hear that there's been a change in this man's life. Bring him back. Don't leave him out there. Don't fall into the same trap. And the trap was more than the morality trap. It was a unity trap. The man was arrogant about his sinfulness. And sin does it to us. It hardens us and makes us arrogant. And Paul was actually knocking, because we picked this up in Titus 3.10, where he says, warn a divisive person once, twice, and then have nothing to do with him. Jesus prayed. Imagine the last moments of his life and his... You know, the, the weight of the world is on his shoulders and Calvary is looming. The passion of the Christ is about to break out. And he says, Father, may they be one like you and I are one. He prays for this one thing. Didn't even ask them to be pure, but they may be united. So we make this very clear. And I know I was asked by some pastors this week. In Fountain Vineyard, we do not exclude people for their morality. Because on what scale are you going to gauge that? If someone stole an man's wife, or someone stole a paperclip, it's theft. It has a difference of impact, for sure, in terms of its, its felt impact on the life of people, but it's still theft. If you break the law in one part, you've broken it in all parts, says, says Deuteronomy. Hey? Does that make sense? So what I'm saying, our passion is like Jesus was. He was known as a friend of sinners. The Galilean church was made of sinners. Even Peter was still prejudicial. In Acts chapter 10, this is... Uh, Ten chapters after the crucifixion and resurrection. Eh? It's still prejudicial that the gospel was for the Jews only. And if any Gentiles want to come in, we're going to make sure they become Jews first. And he didn't understand. And, 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 and yet he was not excluded from the church. Jesus constantly challenges our disunity. That's what he challenges. So our, our view of this is that membership is by grace, but leadership is by faithfulness. If you aspire to leadership, more will be required of you. Jesus said that. Until much is given, much will be required. But if you remember, I'm not saying continue cavorting in your sin. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that while you struggle with what it is that leads you to that, stay in fellowship because fellowship helps you unpack the gift of repentance. To isolate because you're too much of a sinner. At what point will you in your arrogant self-estimation feel you're good enough to come to church? At what point? So I disavow that. A church that, that insists on everybody being morally at that same right level has missed the gospel. I can get in trouble for saying it, I know, in certain circles, but I'm trying to help other pastors in the city see that the church exists as a hospital. If you're broken, go to the hospital called the church. So people are asking me, how come people are coming to your church? Do you know that they're divorced or div divorcing or remarrying or having this issue or that issue? Or that? I don't know about all of it yet, but as they feel safe enough, they might disclose to me or some of the other leaders. We'll work with that, but why, why are you asking? What's the problem? And they say, excuse me, we know some people in your church are living together, they're sleeping together, they're not married. What do you do with that? I say, well, exactly why we have them in church, because this is where they're going to hear the gospel that inspire them for change from the inside than, than rather than oblige them for change from the outside. 
You're not going to sustainably, I mean, you can take a pig, you can scrub it down, wash it, eh? and you can put a ribbon on it and a three-piece suit on it and put it, set it free. You know where it's going to go? Back to the mud. Because only the externals that change the heart is still mud attracted. Eh? The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. So you men that are passive, wake up. You hurt your wives by your passivity. Just as Adam hurt Eve. He was present but silent. Genesis 3.6. If you want a scripture for it, say, Dave, you're just speaking of your frustration. I'm telling now, the Bible says that. He was present but silent. Passive masculinity is one of the huge problems in our world. And in order to do with our passive masculinity, we become passive aggressive. We become patriarchal and domineering. And we make leadership a male issue. Telling you what, some women have got far greater gift of leadership than some men who, who are hopping on a position. Okay? You can say in now sometimes, eh? it's okay too. I need some water, you probably do too. Eh? Okay, I, I, sorry, I'm, I need to move. So spiritual, John 8, let me just close it, that, that point with this. Spiritual, you are spiritual. In John 8, a woman caught in the act of adultery, remember the story? Brought it to Jesus to see, to see what he would say. Uh, let, me, let me just, uh, John 8, I, I actually underlined something about that, that scripture. Let me show you what, what the particular re uh, relevance of what I'm saying here now. Um, they were using this question to see what he would say to trap him. Verse 5, verse 6, they were using this question as a trap. The Bible says it. They were trying to trap him. And when there will always be those who will exercise the Pharisee option trying to trap spiritual leadership to see how spiritual they'll actually be. How did we handle this? How did we handle that? And they wanted to trap Jesus to see whether he would be disdainful of the law uh, and run into, run, or run foul of the Roman authorities that would not allow the Jewish Sanhedrin to exercise the death penalty. So they were going to catch him either way by breaking the law of the Torah or the law of Rome. Either way, they had, they had him. But what does Jesus do? He doodles in the sand, eh? and he waits. He's not going to be pressured. He'll wait. A time will come, and it did come. So this is what happens. Jesus bent down, started writing in verse 6, writing on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning, kept on about this thing, they're pushing him, man. Sometimes, how many, how many ever lead anything? You lead your office, your house, your house church. Anybody lead anything? Ever been pushed by those that are around you? They were pushing him, yeah. They were pushing him, and he straightened up and said to them, if any of you is without sin, this is uh, verse 7, let him be the first to throw a stone. And then he stooped down and carried on writing. And then he looked up, because um, the Bible verse 9 says, at this, those who, began, who heard began to go away one at a time. I think that probably, the Bible says, yeah, the older ones first, they realized they had a longer list <laughs> of failings. And they became aware of that uh, until only Jesus was left with a woman. And he says to uh, woman, and it, was a, it wasn't a confrontational title, it was a, the word used in Hebrew, in the, in the Greek Aramaic I should say, was a, a word of endearment, woman uh, where are they has no one condemned you and she says no Lord she says well neither do I, now let my love my acceptance, my release of you uh, empower you to go and sin no more in John 3.16 you all know that verse powerfully, Billy Graham preached it probably thousands of times but verse 17 says, he didn't, Jesus didn't come in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Okay? That's why he came. It's not about judgment. It's about being saved. So we need to make our churches completely sinner-friendly. Does that make sense to you? I know some people, some people are freaked out when I say that. No, no, no. I want to join a church where people are right. Well, good luck to you. Because that pig might be dressed up. If you know what I'm saying. I mean, not every, everybody that dresses like a Christian is a Christian, eh? Ever found that out? Okay, let's just go back to, to Galatians. Uh, Galatians 6. Um, I want to say verse 1. In verse 1 says that restore such a one gently. What does gentle restoration mean? I want to say one particular thing. It means that no shame. Shame is vicious. Shame is like a uh, were these dogs that are doing damage, you know what they call them? Pit bulls, rottweilers, or something like that. <laughs> It'll take a rag doll and rip it up, you know. 
not against pit bulls, by the way. I'm not preaching against them. I'm just saying the pictures that are being ripped apart by the aggression of the Pharisee and the Pharisaical church. God help us. We've been called to uh, restore someone gently because it's the love and the kindness of God that leads to repentance. That doesn't mean we're soft on sin. That's ungodly. If someone's got cancer, please don't put a plaster on it and say, good luck, go well. You need to exercise the grace to bring about surgery and help at the depth at which the struggle is being deceived, is, is experienced. So that's what it means to restore gently. And then, so I've, I've given you brothers, court number two, spiritual, discerning people, not disunity, and gently. Let the focus be on restoration. I was asked when someone falls, um, shouldn't you be primarily focus on, re- on securing the flock? I say, Jesus said that we must make sure that we put the 99 in the fold and secure them. And then we deal with go looking for the one. That's restoring gently. Does it make sense? You secure the 99, declare again, what are the boundaries? How do we work this thing? And you go look for the one. You must have space for the one. We are not merely looking at, 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 a, at a corporate morality. We're looking for the lost, the lonely, the broken, the alienated, who feels too bad about him or herself to find their way in. Okay, and then number five and then number six, just too quickly. Uh, verse three and four, he says, um, if anyone thinks he's, he's something, this is Galatians 6 verse, verse 3, th- thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, and each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. So watch out for self-deception. Pride goes before a fall. Just when you think you're at the pinnacle, and I've seen this over and over again in, in the decades of ministry, when someone is, doing, is being highly successful, highly fruitful, at that very point, they're the, probably the most vulnerable because the devil knows. Like he did with Jesus, he took him to the pinnacle of the temple. To cast yourself down. He knew if he could get Jesus to do that, he'd, he'd have authority. And he does that constantly with leaders. Can I, can I urge you, pray for those in leadership. They'll never become conceited. That's why we encourage in Scripture not to bring a novice into leadership, lest he become conceited and fall into the devil's trap of pride. So it's so important that you, that you uh, are willing for, for a thorough processing. This pride goes before a fall deceives himself is the fifth thing I want to be cautious about. And the last one, verse six, uh, uh, verse 5, says that um, each one should carry his own load. There comes a time when with humility uh, and responsibility, ownership can be taken of what I need to manage differently as an individual. Does that make sense? You get to that. You start with bearing each other's burdens, creating a safe environment, securing the, the 99, and then you land in verse 5, and you go to bear one to... Uh, to carry each uh, your own load. Okay? Does that make sense? I hope it really does. And if anyone is confused by anything I've said, please come and talk to Colleen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so to close it, here we go, we're close. Can we get the worship band up here? Liam, come up here, man. Come on, get your band going here. I want to, we're going to sing a song as we wrap it up here. But just as they're coming up to get ready, can I quickly give you uh, some don'ts? Some don'ts, very quickly. Four don'ts. What you must not do if you're going to exercise the freedom of accountability. That's the title I gave to this message, freedom of accountability. The one is, and with regard to sin in particular, one is don't hide away. Expose it. Don't hide away. Find out what actually went down. What went wrong? Who did you steal from? When did you do it? How much? Why? What was the motivation? What was going down? Who did you sleep with? How many times? What happened? Find out what went down. Hide. No hiddenness. I mean, when Adam and Eve hid in Genesis 3, hey, remember what happened? God went looking for them. He said, look at the hide and seek. Where are you guys, man? Call them out. And they came out there, sheep leaf, in a new fashion called fig, sheep, fig leaf, fig leaf fashion, you know? <laughs> God said, no, man, that's trash. I get, I, let me give you, you want to have fashion? I'll give you a better one. And he, and he, he slaughtered the animal for the first time. God took a, a, a skin and clothed them with skin. Animal skin. So it was it was death that we might have life. Watch out for hiding. Don't hide. Come out. Now I've been very burdened this whole week about this. I feel like there's, there are some in, amongst us who are hiding because of unresolved brokenness. And as a result, it's not going well for you. And it won't go well for you. Come out. You'll find safe people in this church to, to, to work this over with. The second thing you mustn't do is blame shift. Adam and Eve did that. They blame shifted. Okay? Uh, you know, 
Eve blamed Adam. Adam was blaming Eve. Then they both blamed the snake, and he didn't have a leg to stand on. And anyway, blame shift. Watch out for blame shifting, hey? It's not my fault. It's that woman you gave me, Lord. Why well, I can't help it if she's so darn attractive or whatever, you know? Uh, we can so easily blame others, eh? Uh, Lord, you gave me the hormones. It's your fault. And then thirdly, don't minimize. Call it what it is. Don't minimize sin. Sin is grievous. Isaiah 59 says, uh, God is of pure eyes and to look upon iniquity. Ezekiel 6, 9, he says, my heart is broken for my people's whorish ways. God's heart is broken over our sin. Don't minimize it. And then lastly, don't use shame. Don't use shame. Can I close with just one more scripture? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Uh, and it's a great reminder for us uh, of that which leads us into a, a, a unity and a unified experience. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders. Uh, submit to their authority. This is not authoritarianism. This is a call for cooperation. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. You see, Scripture says that it's the rebellious dwelling in a sun-scorched land. But if we walk in unity with those that God has placed amongst us, then we live in the affection of family experience. So he says here, obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. But that will be of no advantage to you. So I can encourage a cooperation at every level of leadership. And if you as a leader are in trouble, talk, come out. There's fellowships at all these different levels. I move at all those varieties of levels. And I know that it really does help. Is the way to, to walk in more Christ-likeness. hope that's helpful to you guys. Eh? Why don't you stand with me? We're going to sing a beautiful song about it is well with my soul. And while we sing that song, if you want prayer for, uh, I'm going to say this, not just for yourself, but someone you're agonizing for. You've got a wayward son. You've got a troubled daughter. You've got stuff that's going down for you that uh, breaks your heart. There's someone you're angry with. So I'm going to invite you to come for prayer today. And there's someone stand with you, either for yourself or for this other person. I mean, I want us to exercise intercession, intercession prayer. Some of you might want to come forward for our nation, our nation that is broken at this time, for our leadership that is broken at this time. Some might want to come and say, just pray with me. I'm struggling with this, uh, with cynicism about our nation. So while we sing the song, because we sing about it, it is well with my soul. If it's not well with your soul, come and let's pray. Can we do that? So just as we begin to sing, feel free to come up for prayer. And if you see, see anyone coming, just join them and stand with each other and say, how can I pray for you? How can we pray together? Thank you, Lord. Let's go. a river and attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roar and whatever my loss thou hast told me to say that it is well, it is well with my soul, it is well with my soul.
pray with these folks up front. If you like, someone come and pray with them at Asenia, just join them in prayer. With my soul, with my soul, and it is well, it is well with my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sigh the clouds be rolled back as a scroll and the breakthrough we'd love to pray with you just come and linger in the front i'll ask some other intercessors to be here to pray for you some of the leaders to come and be available to pray pray if you don't know jesus and to, or you've walked away from him some maybe you've walked in passivity and this is the day when you've been awakened to the divine romance and you say yes to his invitation i want you to come up front we'd love to pray with you as well and lead you into your relationship gavin's going to come and help me guide people to pray up front God bless you all. May the peace of God be upon you and His presence go before you. Amen. And we bless those that have been listening online. God bless you guys. Thanks for being with us.